One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squirrel came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jonathan. Evening, everybody. Oh, it's muted. Never mind. Uh, I was hoping for great enthusiasm. Good evening. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can find ourselves and our situations in the stories that it's captured and recorded for us. Because in each of these incidents, we see a revelation of your goodness and your glory. We see an aspect of your character. We And we see how you related to those first disciples and how you relate to us today. And I pray that as we speak together, I pray that the Holy Spirit would apply these same truths into our own lives, that that whatever boat we're in and whatever storm we're in, that we would know the same power of Jesus, the Master, who's revealed in this Scripture. And we open ourselves and we ask, Lord, you to teach us and comfort us and encourage us and to train us that we might be faithful disciples who know our God. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever been in a storm at sea? Uh, I've not been in many storms at sea. Uh, When Becky and I were first married, um, We've been where we are now in Woodford for a long time. We've been there 28 years. But before that, we did three years on the Wirral. And uh, this is just after we got married. And um, Becky's parents came over once, and we went off from, uh, from there for a short holiday. And the Wirral, you know, up near, sort of in between Liverpool and Wales, it's quite accessible for getting to various places. So we got in the car, and we drove across, along North Wales, and we got to Hollyhead which is um, on the Isle of Anglesey. And from there, you can get a car ferry, and it takes you across to Dunleary, which is the port just outside Dublin. And the idea was we were going to go across there, and then we were going to do all the nice bits of of the Republic of Ireland and something like that. Um, And these are massive ships. And and, uh, I think it was fairly early in in the year or fairly late in the year, but it was sort of... It wasn't high summer anyway when we did this because I remember that we, we got, you know, you, you park your car and then you leave your car and you walk up to the, you know, to the decks above and we headed out and it was an okay day and it was still light but as we sailed across the Irish Sea, which I now refer to as the Devil's Pond for reasons that will become apparent, uh, as we sailed across the Irish Sea, firstly it just got very dark and then the storm started picking up. And you know, to be honest, not many boats would have gone out in this sort of thing unless they were the size of a car ferry. Now, car ferries, it takes quite a lot to toss them around because they're so big and they're so heavy. But this one was doing a pretty good impression of a bucking bronco. So, so it was, you were sort of trying to stand there, and it was doing this all the time. 
except when it was actually like doing this all the time. And it was doing that somehow so that as you went that way, your stomach went that way. So it was just like doing this all the time. And it, of course, it didn't really kind of confine itself to doing it that way. It managed to do them all at the same time. So you had this sort of rolling effect like this. Now, um, it, was, it was really bad. And because it was dark, you couldn't see a horizon, so you couldn't trick yourself by looking at a you know, straight line and think that you're okay. Um, we'd, we'd not been married very long. I didn't know my in-laws that well. So I was really trying to be manly and pretend it wasn't bothering me. But I kept on having to make excuses to just, I'm just going to go check something. I'm just going to go wash my hands. I'm just going to go down to the toilet. I was so ill, it was unbelievable. Uh, it, it was just one of those horrible, horrible experiences. I could not wait for that trip out there to be over. Becky and I have been back to um, Ireland on uh, numerous occasions since then, uh, and we've always flown. Odd that. <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been in a storm like that, but you suddenly realize the power of the sea, and I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a storm in a little rowing boat or a little fishing boat like the disciples here. It's um, big enough that they can get 12, 13 of them in there, but it's small enough that it wouldn't be covered, and, and it, it's just really, it's the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake, but it's not really, is it, this storm, it's not really about a message to sailors. It's a message to anybody, anybody who's going through storms. It doesn't take much for us to take this and to apply it into some of the ups and downs of life. So whether or not we've got that experience of being in an actual storm at sea, we can all relate to this experience of going through a storm, being tossed around, the struggles and storms that we might have, whether it's for you, whether it's health or finance or, or relationship whether it's exams and, and the sort of pressure that comes on or um, maybe some of the pressures at work or every single person at some point in the circumstances of life will feel that they are going through a storm. And when we go through storms like that, it always raises questions, questions ultimately about the goodness of God. You know, is he in control? Does he have a plan for us? Can he help us? Will he help us? Where is God in the middle of all this? And I just wanted to suggest tonight that a way into this passage might be to ask some of those questions and see what the answers are, because it will refine our faith and it will help us see what God does and doesn't promise. And so, firstly, the question is, what do you do when God seems to be wrong? And I say it like that because that makes it really pointed. One day, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So this is Jesus' idea. And Jesus puts them in a boat and then leads them out into this storm. Now, a lot of us probably assume that if we're in the middle of God's will, then it will be plain sailing. You know, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then my life is going to be fine, my circumstances will be great, but it doesn't work out like that, does it? And the fact that you are in a storm doesn't mean that you've taken a wrong turn. The fact that you're in a storm doesn't mean that you've stepped out of God's will for your life. This was Jesus' idea. 
Sometimes it seems that God wants us to go through stuff rather than to go around stuff. And that's really frustrating, but it does seem to be what he wants us to do. And it even seems sometimes, actually, that there are things about God that we only discover when we're in the storms of life. There are are things about being dependent upon Him. There There are things about letting go of some of our earthly securities. And these things that we, we only don't really, we don't really discover them unless we're putting that place of extremis. And we have to kind of like lighten the load and we have to think to ourselves, okay, what really matters? What do I hang on to? What am I trusting in? You know, these are things that are really significant things that can come out of our storm experiences. Um, a number of times as we go through the Gospels, we see the disciples discovering things about God that they perhaps wouldn't have found otherwise. You know, another storm passage that Becky and I often speak about is when Jesus walks on the water and he, he comes to them in a storm. There's, there's a revelation of who he is and what he can do that they, they wouldn't have got if they'd stayed on the land and they wouldn't have got if they'd gone on the lake but, but they'd done it in plain sailing time. Now, Jesus comes to them in the middle of the storm, and they get this new revelation of who he is. And I wonder sometimes whether we're actually fair in the way that we preach the gospel to other people. Because for some people, this idea that if you're in the will of God, it's all going to go really well, causes them to have real problems when they suddenly hit a storm. So what is the gospel that we preach? I don't know if, you, if you're as old as me, you might have had little tracts that we were trained to use at various kind of missions. And, you know, in the University Christian Union, we had four spiritual laws or two ways to live or, you know, all these different tracts. And I remember one of them specifically said, the point one, God loves you and has a perfect plan for your life. God loves you and has a perfect plan for your life. Well, definitely God loves you. I'm not entirely sure God has a perfect plan for your life. I think most people also hear that as God loves you and he wants you to have a life where you never have any hardship or problems. And actually, we're, at that point, we're way beyond what the Bible promises, aren't we? Is that what the Bible promises? Well, definitely not. Definitely not. There are all sorts of things that crop up in life. And God doesn't say, I'll never lead you into anything like that. He doesn't say you'll never have a stormy moment. So when we come to these stormy moments, the first question is, has God got it wrong? And the answer is no. God hasn't got it wrong. For some reason, he wants you to go through this, not round it. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God. Obviously, if you find yourself in a a moment where you think, I don't know where God is in this, Ask yourself the question, have I somehow turned my back on God? Ask yourself that question, but you might well find that the answer is, no, I haven't. God wants me to go this way. It's just a bit stormy. So an even more pointed question here is not what what do you think when God seems to be wrong, but what do you think when God seems not to care? This is really tough meat, isn't it? So Jesus gets into the boat with them. They set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A storm came up so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. 
This is genuine danger. Now, there's a lot of stuff in life that we're afraid of that might never happen. So I, I was thinking the other day, that I came across a little poem that says, warriors feel every blow that never falls and cry for every loss that, they never, that never happens. And I come from a long line of warriors. You know, my, my family are terrible about worrying about things. And, you know, I've jokingly said a few times that if I had to give my testimony a kind of slick form, it would be from warrior to warrior. You know, it's like God set me free from being a nervous, worrying kind of person. But my dad's terrible, and my grandmother was even worse. And we used to go up and see her regularly, and we, we would... When we went to see her, we, when we left, we told her that the journey back home was four hours long. Okay, the reason for that, it was only two hours long, but the reason for that is that sometimes we'd take the journey back and it would be a little slower. Or we would take the journey back and we'd decide to stop for a cup of tea on the way back. But if we told her the journey was two hours long and then it was longer, she wouldn't think oh, they've stopped for a cup of tea, or there must be roadworks near Thetford, or something like that. Her conclusion immediately was, they've all died in a fiery car crash. You know, fireballs have engulfed them, and they've all been burned to a crisp. She just naturally went to the worst possible explanation every single time of what might have happened. And sometimes people say, fear is an acronym, and it means false expectations appearing real. It's the opposite of faith. Faith is the expectation of positive things. Fear is generally the expectation of bad things. So we don't want to be afraid, and the Bible on numerous occasions tells us not to be. It's actually the most repeated command in the entire Bible. Rick Warren, the great American preacher, says that the Bible actually contains 365 commands not to be afraid. So you've got a different scripture for every single day to go through the Bible to tell you, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, don't be afraid. But this is genuine danger. Not all fears are wrong. So if you're walking along the cliff, you're feeling afraid. You should feel afraid because you're not meant to be reckless. That fear tells you this is not safe, move across. And, and this, in this story, is a genuine danger thing. It's not a false expectation, it's a real expectation. And that means that God's not saying, just get over it. What he's actually saying is, this is a dangerous situation, and the fact that God initially doesn't seem to be doing anything and Jesus is asleep in the boat can cause us some real problems. Because this world is not safe even when God is in the boat. That's what this passage says. Bad things happen to good people. But God didn't promise otherwise, did he? God didn't promise us a life of ease. Jesus in John 16 said, in this world you will have trouble. And he went on to say, but take heart, I have overcome this world. In uh, John 15 he says to them, if they persecuted me, your master they will persecute you as well. You know, there are things that are going to happen because we follow Jesus. It's not going to be easy. But what he did promise is that he would be there, he would provide, and he will protect. Now, in this version, they say, 
The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Now, Mark has a version of this. Mark's gospel, by the way, tends to sort of um, be a little blunter. It takes the varnish off. You know, Matthew and Luke usually kind of like make it a little bit nicer. Um, Mark always gives you the raw version of what actually happened. And so in, Ma- in Mark's version, the disciples actually say to Jesus, Master, don't you care? It's not like, not just Jesus, we're going to drown. This is Jesus, we don't gr- we, we're going to drown, and you don't seem to care about this. And it says that Jesus was sleeping. Now, I think sometimes one of the reasons we have problems in storms is that we go into the storm and we don't even call to God. We go into the storm and we don't, we don't cry out to Him. And so we, we complain that God seems to be sleeping, but we haven't actually cried out to Him at all. And of course, when Jesus is woken up, when they cry out to Jesus, Jesus immediately gets up and He deals with it. And so it, it is true that there are moments when something comes on us, and we might think it seems like he doesn't care, but actually, if you cry out to him, you'll discover he does. It's just In some ways, it's a wonderful picture of, of what it can be for us. Jesus is not just our master, but he's also our model. Remember, Jesus is a man like us. He, he slept because he was tired. The Bible says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. But in his incarnate ministry, when he took on flesh, he became one like us. He got tired, so he fell asleep. But what he was as a human being, yes, weak in the flesh, but never lacking in faith, never lacking in the Spirit, always knowing about his Father. Jesus is the person who shows us that you can actually sleep through a storm. He knows, he's just total confidence that God will be with him. So Jesus is there, even though he doesn't seem to be doing anything. And when they call out to him, he immediately responds and he gets up and he does something. Now, what he does is quite interesting, actually, because it says Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters. In other words, he spoke to it. He didn't pray to his heavenly Father, Lord, would you make this storm stop? He didn't play that. He commanded the winds and the waves. It's quite significant because several times in the Psalms it actually says, who is this who speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him? It's like in an Old Testament way, it's a sort of look out for that when God sends him uh, somebody upon the earth who is the incarnate version of himself, then look out for that. He speaks to the waves and he stills them. But the word rebukes that's used here is the same word for when Jesus deals with the demons. When Jesus deals with a demon, he rebukes the demon and casts it out. Here he deals with the powers of nature that have got out of control. Maybe there's even a suggestion here that the, the wind and the waves are actively opposing what God wants to happen. Perhaps they're even somehow sort of almost, this is almost a demonically inspired storm. Jesus knows how to deal with it. It's not just choppy water, it's spiritual attack, and he rebukes the winds, and he rebukes the raging waters, and they have to obey him because he has all authority. Sometimes 
nature itself is part of that rebellion against God. And some of the bad things that we happen in this world is not the way that God set up the world. You know, the world is out of control, but he's restoring it. So when God seems to be wrong, check yourself to make sure you're still in his will, because it might still be within his power. When he seems not to care, call on him, and he will answer you. And then he rebukes the winds and the waves, but what happens when he rebukes us? Because it feels sometimes, doesn't it, that, that Jesus is rebuking the disciples. He got up and he rebuked the wind, and then he says to the disciples, where is your faith? And I think a lot of us would think, Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind, and then he rebuked the disciples. But it doesn't say that. It just feels a bit like that. When Jesus says, where is your faith? I don't know, sometimes, do you, do you kind of get that feeling that God's a bit disappointed in you, that you should have trusted him more? You know, where's your faith? I often wonder about the tone of voice that Jesus uses in these sorts of passages. You know, is, is, he, is he really frustrated with us? Where's your faith? I don't think it's like that. I think he, what he's saying to them is, remember all that you've seen. You know, if I could deal with all of that, I can deal with this. Where's your faith? Let your faith rise up. I think he's encouraging us. I was actually looking at the frame of this passage and what comes before and what comes afterwards. And what's, what's there before is Jesus in a town and his mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get near him because of the crowd. And somebody said to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. It's really interesting. Well, Jesus is basically saying, my own flesh and blood have, don't have any more say on me than anybody else. The thing that establishes relationship with me is not flesh and blood DNA. What establishes relationship with me is hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. In other words, do you believe what you've been taught? And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Guys, where's your faith? Do you believe what you've been taught? You've seen me do all these wonderful things. Do you believe that I can deal with this as well? And Jesus is basically saying, I've done so much. You know, you saw me feed 5,000 people with a picnic. You saw me raise the dead. You saw me heal the sick. You've seen me do all sorts of wonderful miracle things. The call, I think, when we're going through faith, uh, going through storms, the call, I think, is for us to trust God. One of the things about fear is that it reveals where you don't trust God. Your greatest fear probably reveals where you trust God the least. You know, if you, if you are really afraid about having enough money, you probably don't trust God enough to provide. You know, if you're really afraid of what people think of you, you probably don't realize how much God's estimation of you is the only thing that matters. You know, where we are afraid, it probably shows that there's a bit more trusting of God that needs to be done. God does have a plan for our lives. He's taken hold of us. He's going to make us like Jesus. We are destined to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son Jesus. So that when you become a Christian, there's an inexorable program that starts that says, 
you're going to be like Jesus. He's, he's going to work on you. He's going to make you more and more like his son. That probably says to me that at some point we're going to get to the stage, hopefully this side of glory, but maybe not until we get there. We're going to get to the stage where we can fall asleep in the middle of a storm because we know God's in charge. We know he's taking us over there. Basically, if Jesus says we're going over there, even if the boat sinks, we're going to become a submarine because we're going to end up going over there. It's like Jesus says we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I wonder whether we struggle to really believe that God is good. And this passage is sort of saying to us, don't doubt the goodness of God and don't doubt the plan of God. You know, he's not wanting you to have a miserable life. Don't doubt the power of God. He'll keep you. The will of God will never lead you into anything the grace of God can't keep you in. Don't doubt that he's with you. God's got his reasons. Do you want to know the reason for this trip? It's really interesting, actually, because if you were to read on, and I guess you'll be doing this next week as you go through Luke, a couple of weeks, trailer, don't want to spoil it, but in a couple of weeks, you're going to read this passage. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And some of you will know what comes next. When they stepped ashore, Jesus was met by a demon-possessed man. A man who eventually gives his name as Legion because he has so many demons in him. And then Jesus does the thing that you're going to hear about in two weeks. Spoiler alert. And then it says, all the people in the region asked Jesus to leave them. And Jesus got in the boat and went back to the other side. This entire trip was for the sake of one man. Isn't that amazing? I think that's really special. That says something about how much God loves us. How much he's willing to put himself through how much discomfort he will endure to go and to deliver one person. So often Jesus is pictured as going and the crowds are there and Jesus ministers to the crowds. This is one of those times where Jesus goes out of his way for the one person. And so you don't have to doubt his goodness or his plan. You don't have to doubt his power. He'll keep you through it. Whatever storm you're going through, just remember Jesus had learnt the secret of being at peace so that he could sleep. And the disciples were meant to learn that in that situation, God's still in charge. And if they're afraid, they can call upon him and he will intervene. And he has the power to set it right. He hasn't promised a smooth sailing trip every single time we go out. But he has promised that he'll be with us in the boat and he'll see us home to our destination. So I thought what might be really good today is just for us to ask God to give us a fresh infusion of trust where perhaps it's being tested. There'll be things in every one of our lives where we're facing challenges. Some of you might immediately go, I'm in a storm. It's like the easiest word of knowledge to give, by the way. Stand up at the front and go, there's somebody here today who's in a storm or might be in a storm soon, it's been through a storm recently. You know, it's, it's really simple, isn't it? This is a universal human experience that we go through challenges and we go through difficulties. But those are moments when we can discover in a fresh way the goodness of God, the presence of God, the power of God, just how involved he wants to be in our lives. And that's a great way of encountering him. So would you like to stand? Becky's going to come and help me a little bit, or a lot. And we've got some time just to spend... Uh, 
in ministry before God, just to be still. So as I prayed at the beginning, that Lord, you would help us by your Holy Spirit to make connections between that passage as we see Jesus sleeping in a storm because he's so right with you, but also saving the disciples from their fears. I prayed that you would help us make connections. Holy Spirit, help us to see what it is that you're showing us tonight, to hear what it is you're speaking to us tonight. And then stand before God for a few moments. Come, Holy Spirit, with your peace with your reassurance. probably times for all of us when we feel that God has led us into something and we're not sure why. Maybe in that we've doubted his goodness. Or times when we're, we're in something and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. Lord, if we've ever made judgments where we've questioned you, where we've doubted you. We just want to repent of that. And we say again, Lord, we trust you and we know that you're good. Daniel, can you put um, Becky's mic up? Thank you. I think in this um, moment of quiet together in the Lord's mm. presence, it's just an opportunity um, mm. to tune into Him, which you're doing so well, and to hear Him say, I am with you. I just have a sense that sometimes for some here that the storm, <clears throat> your storm, the wind is so howling, and it might just be the noise of the world or the demands around you or the the chaos you feel you're in or deadlines you have to meet or different things, and it can be overwhelming. And I just think in this moment of peace, the Lord is wanting you to still stilling that and just to hear him say, I'm with you, I'm with you. Take comfort. Don't be afraid. Feel my peace. It's real. It's for you. I love you, I've got you. 
Mm. And just to let that settle in your spirit. Mm. He sees you. He knows. And he sees the end from the beginning, whereas we see the here and now. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's with you. And he wants to steady the boat for you, where you're feeling seasick. So thank you, Lord, that um, you can come and you can, when we have these moments in your presence, mm. you can come and just help us to settle and just quiet the storm, the noise of the world, um, the different things, different voices of people around us or the news or uh, whatever it is around us, where those voices can go quiet and we can tune into your voice. So Lord, help mm. us to just continue to have our roots go down deeper, changing the metaphor, but our roots to go down deeper, to be able to draw from um, who you are. And thank you, Lord, that as we go through these things, and again and again, we, we can testify as we get to the other side of your faithfulness that we are growing in you. We're growing in our faith. We're growing in our um, history with you. Hmm. And thank you, Lord. And for all those times we have questions where we don't understand, then just help us to say, I don't, well, we don't understand God, but we know you're good. Someday we'll understand, but for now we lay down our need, our right to understand, and we just say, God, we trust you and you're good, and you will see us through. So we're going to make a time for response if anybody particularly wants to receive prayer for that. Um, so this it would be a general invitation. If you know you're in a storm or you're going through a storm, that you want to be to know that the Lord is with you, um, to know that his presence is with you. We'll just simply pray that you'll know his reassurance, his comfort, that you'll be reminded of his power with you. Um, and I felt a specific word as well. I felt that um, for someone, the storm was bereavement, and in bereavement that you'd, that it, uh, you'd felt abandoned by God and it had shaken your faith. I don't know if that's recent or... Or, or what, but um, it's about God's wanted you to know that he's been with you through everything and he will be with you through anything that lies ahead.